I felt like I got scared and I began to lead that first 16 months, 12 months out of fear rather than out of faith. Hey, podcasters, welcome to Leaders in Living Rooms by CDF Capital. I'm your host, Sean Morgan, bringing you access and insights to leaders and their stories. Welcome, episode 10 with Dave Stone, a rock star pioneer in big church leadership transitions, some amazing stories, leading staff, leading elders well. Listen, I am so excited about this because this is a deeply personal story. Dave opens up and gets real. It's an amazing conversation. Can't wait to share it with you. Let's go. All right. Welcome, Dave. It's good to be here in Louisville, Kentucky with you on a little bit of a crazy week in the news media with what's going on with uh, coronavirus, but uh, happy to be here and have a little bit of your time to talk leadership. Hey, I'm honored. I'm honored that you made the journey here and you had a late night yourself. So kudos to you for the way you hung in there on a three o'clock in the morning arrival. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like being face-to-face to have these conversations to share with our listeners. Um, So as we've been wrapping up this series, I think we have maybe one or two more episodes that we're really doing on transitions and we've, we've developed a little bit of following. And so I love tapping into your conversation and and your stories um, because it's hard to have a conversation in America about church transition and not talk about Dave Stone because you have a very visible transition coming into the lead seat at Southeast, and then recently, really really about a year or less than a year, transitioning out at Southeast, and then the doors that, that God kind of orchestrated around the Harvest Bible role that you've been playing. So I'd love to just tap into the conversation there, the learning that you have, uh, any insights and things like that. But maybe if we start from the beginning and navigate that conversation, tell us a little bit about some of the, the key things that you remember about the Bob Russell transition? What were some of the things that you knew that this was what God was calling you to do and you'd look back at and go, wow, we did this right. Bob did this right for me, those types of things. I always tell people, I'm so blessed, Sean, to have a, a, a pastor that calculated and prayerfully set this transition up. And Bob did it with more humility than anyone I've ever seen. Um, what he did was, he made me uh, an equal partner. I used to tell people that I felt like I was getting to play behind an All-American and I got to play at least one quarter of every game, Mm. you know, just to get some real-life experience in ministry. Sure. And uh, he was unusual because he hired me when I was 27 and I was hired to share the preaching responsibilities maybe for uh, six to eight times that first year. Mm -hmm. And then... That was at a time when there really weren't teaching teams, and that was in 1989. And uh, for a guy who had watched their church just be on this incredible pathway of growth, and yet the way he looked at it was, he said, hey, this thing is dangerous. I need to be up front less. Wow. When most people would say, this thing's growing because of me, I need to be up front more. So that was unusual. It's unusual, but it's a great sign of humility. Somebody's not looking to increase their prominence or cult of personality style thinking. This is somebody who already is thinking like a steward, maybe, right? Yeah, and and he was actually thinking of as a kingdom builder, like you right. said, as a steward of the what God had entrusted to him. So in a time when there weren't teaching teams, he started one, 
And then he increased my preaching each year. And I think it was probably after I'd been here about 10 years Mm -hmm. that uh, he announced to the congregation that he said, sometime in the next six to 10 years, I will be uh, heading out and I will turn things over to Dave Stone. And um, afterwards, I think there were some people that there was some surprise. There were a lot of people that were just like, well, I kind of figured that that was seemed like it was going that direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, so for some, it was it was, they were caught off, off guard by the fact that it was said out loud. Yes. Uh, but I think he also knew it was healthy for them to see that I was going to have more years in that seat learning from him. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, we spent the next six, seven years being very intentional as the eldership in preparing me mm-hmm. and uh, for me to be prepared for that role, all the while knowing that I could call on him if I had questions. Without describing like a process, what was the single best thing that you did to be ready for the role? Like mentally, spiritually, emotionally, those kind of things. Well, um, I don't know that there's one thing. There's Some of the things that stand out when I think back to that season was that he gave me opportunities that I normally would not have received from anybody else. Mm-hmm. By that, I mean, he let me preach Easter. Wow. Uh, a yep. couple of times. Yep. He gave me tougher topics. I remember one time uh, in, a, in a hot potato series, you know, I joke with him and say, I had women's role in the church. Uh, is baptism essential for salvation? And I think he had uh, thick crust versus thin crust pizza. You know, that, that was his topic. But anyway, he gave me the, the tougher topics. And what that does is it allows the congregation to say, oh, he's just not taking the easy things. Uh, he, he's he's getting the tougher things because this is what real life's going to be like when you're the senior pastor yes. leading this. He wouldn't shield me away from uh, pressures or criticism. And um, so those were things that were all very helpful for me. As far as spiritually, you know, it, it, it became a real battle because I felt like here I was following a guy where the church had grown, when he left, the church had grown 39 out of 40 years. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't want to. I didn't want to mess this thing up. Mm. And <laughs> everybody has that. The, feeling. <laughs> the first year, Sean, you know, we we dropped a thousand people in attendance. Yep, very common. And so you know what that does to my ego, to my confidence. You know, you can't say, "Hey, I solved the parking problem." <laughs> uh, you know, it's uh, there's there's very few things that you can find out of that that's good. But now looking back. Years later, if we hadn't gone from from seventeen thousand to sixteen thousand, or eighteen thousand to seventeen thousand, whatever it was, we never would have grown to twenty seven thousand mm-hmm. because we had to have people that were in in line with the direction that we wanted to move as a church with some of the new initiatives that I wanted to unveil, and we never could have grown if we hadn't, in a sense, lost those thousand people. Yeah. Because there was a sense of freedom, maybe as a leader, you felt like you're you're being less anchored to some things that people would really kind of fight for the way it is, the way it was, and maybe begin to be open to fresh vision. Yeah, and and part of that to get to that fresh vision, we had to take some things off of the plate. Yeah. So when you remove an Easter pageant mm. that is having seventy thousand people come every year from the community. Um, you know, and when you take away a leadership conference 
and things like that that have been sacred cows for mm-hmm. a long time. And now you say we're moving in the direction of multi multiple campuses, yes. and we're going to have us add a second campus. Back then, you know, 15 years ago, people are like, well, I don't understand what that even looks like. Yeah. So praise the Lord that I had Bob Russell in my corner every step of the way um, prior to that transition saying, I'm totally in favor with the direction that we're moving. And uh, I wish I had the energy to do some of this, but uh, after 40 years, I think God's going to use me in other ways. And God's used Bob yeah. in incredible ways to pour into yeah. uh, younger pastors. So, so Bob became a champion for you, and that made a big difference in that season. How do you—let's let's talk about um, the church— the staff team and the elders, how do you do change management without, mm. you know, uh, leadership is is moving things, changing things at a rate that people can tolerate, right? Yeah, that's a, somebody's definition. It's not mine, but I heard it and it's a good I one like for it. this case. I like that. How, how do you do that and not lose your job? Like there are some things mm. you could do. And if you do them over three years, it's probably good. And if you did it over three months, you, people aren't going aren't, aren't gonna to be willing to follow you or aren't going to be willing to, to grasp all that. So what did, you, what did you already know in change management? And what did you learn in that process you'd, you'd tell to a young 35-year-old brand new lead pastor, listen to these words? Well, for in my particular case, I needed to get elder rotation because we had no rotation and an elder could be an elder for life mm-hmm. until they pulled themselves away from it or sure. unless they did something that you know, um, was really bad. Right. So, but there was no process for them to serve a few years yeah. and step down. So we started a leadership development process and we started saying that we were going to rotate our elders off. And that was the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, fortunately, Bob was behind that because he knew that I had to have that. He knew I had to have some younger leaders on the elder board. And you'd inherited elders from him that were were sort of running the race with him. Yeah. I hadn't yet, that season. but I was about to. Yeah. And fortunately for me, I had, I did have several years of notice ahead of time that this was going to be me. Got it. So I saw that coming. Mm-hmm. It ended up being about a seven-year transition. I wouldn't recommend that, but in our setting, that was the best thing at that time. And so for... Yeah. For three years, we had the opportunity to start setting that rotation up. We got the elders to buy into it. They continued to balk at it even after they had voted for it. Mm-hmm. And we had to continue to stick to our guns. Uh, the The line that the elders would use is, oh, we're going to lose so much in, intellectual and institutional knowledge of this place, and that's going to be bad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, God has had his hand on his church, whether that's Southeast or whatever the church is, God's been guiding that process, and he's a big enough God that he can raise up those leaders. And sure enough, that's what we saw him do. Yeah. We rotated 15 men off mm-hmm. who all had experience of being elders for over 15 plus years without ever going off. And gradually, we replaced them with newer people. We mm-hmm. brought a couple of the older ones back, and gradually over time, that, that changed out. And so we had fresh leadership who bought into the direction I was going. Mm-hmm. And we had younger people while still having some of the older ones that were respected and, and well-known from yeah. the church. Yeah. Did you have any problems? Any, any people that didn't leave well that you had to weather some storms there? You know, I'd say for the most part, we, we may have had one or two of those. Mm-hmm. But, um, and we had some that, that got sour at different times. Sure. Um, and... 
And then we had a whole lot of elders that just saw this as a new season for them, and they served in other capacities. Mm-hmm. And we had some that started out sour that, that kind of came back. Um, I always think it's tough for any leader, whether it's a, a lay leader or it's a paid leader. It really doesn't matter. When, when your role changes, there's mm-hmm. this battle that you want to prove that you're significant, yeah. that you're needed, that you're still human. useful. It's only human. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, I'm in a sense, I think I've gone through that in my last year mm-hmm. since I left Southeast. I want to still feel like God can use me. Absolutely. And so uh, I, I, part of it's the fact that I'm a male, mm-hmm. probably the male ego piece. But the other piece of it is that, hey, I've done this, uh, you know, at church for so many years, or this person's been an elder for so many years. Uh, okay, can God still use me? And so, yeah, we, we had one person that wanted to come back on the board. We actually had several through the years who wanted to come back, and the elder board said, said no after they had sat out for that rotation. And those were probably the best decisions. They weren't easy decisions, and they hurt. And uh, in, in some cases, some of those relationships uh, suffered greatly. But again, there are different seasons in the life of a church where you have different leadership. And you have to have a great mix of visionary elders along with those elders that will also make certain that you're not just going crazy with new ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a balance to that. So as we're talking about this, uh, I I wonder, leaders oftentimes, there's there's voices you hear like God maybe inspiring you or giving you a word. Uh, there, There are voices sometimes you tell yourself and there are voices sometimes the enemy tells you. Mm. What voices did you have in your head back then that you would say, I I would encourage leaders to pray through these voices that you were hearing because they weren't the right ones to be listening to? Oh, I've never been asked that question. That's a, that's a great question. And um, I can answer it. My eyes are tearing up as I answer it. But I, I think that if I look at when I took over the role, mm-hmm. because that year before, when you're ready to take that role, you're chomping at the bit. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to hold back out of respect for the person that's handing the baton to you. Yes. But well, you got all these ideas, and I think everybody's going to jump right on board, and they're all going to be with you. And I had a really hard time when I became the senior pastor because the group that I thought loved me, our senior adults, uh, they were nervous. Mm-hmm. They'd had the same pastor for 40 years. He left when he was 62. And so the way I look at it, I'd say the people that were over 50, everyone mm-hmm. over 50, they felt like Bob Russell had handed the car keys to a 16-year-old kid and said, good <laughs> luck, right. you know? Exactly. And... um when I look back at, at my first year, the mistakes I made was pulling away from the people that I needed to lean into. So I wish I would have done more with the senior adults. Mm-hmm. And instead of, after some attacks from some of them, instead of pulling back from them, Distance I, yourself, yeah. I wish I would have leaned in with them. Mm-hmm. The second piece of that puzzle is the byproduct of that was that I felt like I got scared and I began to lead that first 16 months, 12 months out of fear rather than out of faith. Mm. And um, for me, that was looking back, you know, that's not, that's not the way a Christian should be. Mm-hmm. Um, my confidence is in Christ. My confidence is in the Lord that he has prepared me for this. 
I can't do this on my own. I've got to lean on the Lord and he's going to help me through it. And fortunately, I had an incredible wife. I had Kyle Eidelman. I had great elders and I had a great lead team. Mm-hmm. And they're what got me through because uh, there was a point where I told my wife and I told Kyle, I said, I think I'm going to fill an aquarium up with 500 marbles and I'm going to, I'm going to do this for a year and a half. And um, I'm, I'm going to take one marble out every day. And when I've lost my marbles, <laughs> so to speak, uh, I, I will have known I gave it a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And this is something I waited 17 years for. And Yet my wife had seen the joy, the joy robbed from, from me, a guy who is always optimistic and upbeat, and she'd see me come home. And you can be prepared to take the senior role. I don't care if your church is 500, 5,000, whatever the size might be. Uh, but until you sit in that seat and you feel that weight of that pressure, of the decisions that you make, mm-hmm. and in a sense that the buck stops here, uh, you don't know what that feels like. And God took me on a journey, and finally, after about 16 months, I realized, oh, guess what? The buck doesn't stop here with me. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a layer higher than the senior pastor, mm-hmm. and it's not the elders. Even though I answer to the elders, and I am an elder, it's the Lord. This is His church, and um, a simple lesson. But it was a process that God took me through. And if I hadn't had those people standing beside me, I probably would have quit after my first year. And I'm so glad that I, I led for, for almost 14 years because I got to see the fruits of mm-hmm. all the things that I really felt like God had put into my heart. What would you recommend leaders that are going through that heavy season do to, uh, I'm really glad you talked about your wife and, mm. and your marriage because at least half the pastors that I'm coaching through these first few years, there's so much that they, they carry from that mantle of leadership. Walking across the hallway, things change instantaneously yeah. into that role. And I don't think they have enough margin in their life. There's so many different mm. things that I think they have to begin. What, do you, what are some of the key things you would recommend young leaders do to prioritize their their relationship with God first and clinging to his strength and his call, their their marriage, their bride, uh, and then Christ's bride? Well, I think you have to have some accountability and some friendship circle that can speak into you. And strangely, my closest accountability in in my stretches as senior pastor were actually senior pastors in other churches. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's who I leaned in with. And they helped me get through this. And Kyle Eidelman here at church mm-hmm. was a great help. Elders that we began praying with on a weekly basis on Tuesday mornings at seven o'clock, they moved from being elders in a meeting to being friends around a prayer circle. Uh, and that helped. And the other thing, as far as the peace with, uh, with the, the wife or the spouse, is just to make certain that you're protecting the time for yourself. Because most of us who find ourselves in the lead pastor role are type A personalities. We're driven. We have a hard time turning things off. Mm-hmm. And just to make certain you're going to protect that date night, you're going to 
move heaven and earth to be at your kid's game. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids knew all along that they could call me at any time. I don't care who I was with. If it was one of my kids, I might say, you know what? I, I, I rarely get a call from them, but do you mind if I just check, make certain everything's okay here? Mm-hmm. I've never had a person have a problem with that in any meeting I was ever in, if it was one of my kids. And I wanted them to know that yeah. regardless of all the chains of, of protection that I have of getting, getting to me as the lead pastor, that they had instant access to me. And um, so you have to protect those those things. Bob Russell used to call it getting out of the area code with your wife. And he'd say every every six weeks or two months, you have to get out of the area code. It might be for one night. Yep. It might be for longer, but mm-hmm. do something that allows you to recalibrate your marriage and and communicate to that person how important they are in your ministry. And, you know, the greatest thing I had going in my ministry and still do is I have a supportive wife and a praying wife Mm -hmm. and someone who wants to see my gifts utilized. Mm -hmm. And in the process, I've got to see her, her gifts and her um, talents that God has blessed her with and the way she encourages people through the way she ministers. That's great. Thanks for sharing. So, one of the questions I want to ask, we, Kyle's come up in the, the next transition, which happened in 2019 um, with Kyle stepping into the lead role. How, uh, you, you stepped down relatively early. You're, mm-hmm. you're you know, for a, a lead pastor who's a retired former lead pastor, megachurch lead pastor, you're a pretty young guy. How did you know it was time? Well, there's something Bob Russell did for me that I always appreciated. He left when he could have continued to lead this church. And... He left at 62, mm-hmm. and the Church of Southeast has become more of a complicated creature in the last 14 years, and we went from one campus to uh, to seven. Uh, now we're at nine. Kyle's added two more. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a complex creature. And to me, the reason I wanted to leave when I did was because Kyle, I knew, was going to be ready, and I knew that the peak leadership years are in those 40s. Mm-hmm. He's 43 years old, and uh, I was 44 when Bob Russell handed things to me, mm-hmm. and I always thought, I want to do the same thing for, for Kyle. Hopefully, mm-hmm. at that time, I thought, you know, hopefully it'll be Kyle. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that, but I'm praise the Lord that it was. And so um, the greatest way to affect the age of a congregation is who's in the, the lead pastor role. And we've had a goal that we really don't talk about much, but we'd love to be a church that grows for 100 years. Mm. And we've, we've grown for, for 58 years. And I think part of the reason why is because we have been willing to take risks of having younger people in the pulpit and younger people in the lead pastor role. It's a great way to affect the age of the congregation mm-hmm. and to get younger people in. The other thing is, I felt like um, the way my wife has shared me with so many people for so many years in a um, high-profile ministry, I felt like I wanted to have some healthy years, uh, the Lord willing, where I didn't have as much pressure on top of me. So I actually picked 2019, five years before in 2014, Mm -hmm. and I just told my family first year, I told Kyle the next year, I told a couple of elders and ministry friends uh, the third year, brought a couple more elders in the next year and the executive pastor. 
And uh, and then I told the whole elder board just uh, three months before uh, I announced to the congregation that mm-hmm. sometime in the next six to nine months, Kyle was going to become the lead pastor. Mm-hmm. You were here, like you said, a seven-year transition with Bob. Kyle was here for, for over a decade. Um, so that's a long time to keep great leaders in the second chair position or a second chair position. What's the secret to doing that? Mm. Somebody asked me around the time I was leaving Southeast, they said, so would you say your greatest accomplishment was the multi-site campuses? And I said, oh, I don't know. Uh, That's probably at the top of my list, but I said, probably the, the, to me, the thing that was more important was that I kept Kyle Eidelman more than than three to five years. Mm-hmm. Kyle uh, was here for 16 years, mm-hmm. and I turned things over to him, and he was planning on being here for three to five. So how did that happen? Well, God forged a friendship between the two of us. Mm-hmm. That's the starting point. And then I I knew what it felt like when I was given more responsibility, and so I gave him more responsibility, and I kept giving him more responsibility. And people would see him just as a great preacher, or then he began writing some, and, and his books, his first book was a New York Times bestseller. And uh, so they saw him as a writer, and they saw him doing Bible studies. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, if you only could see, he's a great leader. Yeah. And so I would give him bigger chunks, and sometimes he would come to me and say, hey, I've noticed we haven't really had time to dig into this or, or, or that. Would you mind if I took that on? And I'm stupid if I, if I don't let him take that on. Yeah. And he's got ideas that are outside the box that I wouldn't come up with or that I feel a little maybe squeamish on. But that's the future of the church. And so I wanted to give him the freedom, the same freedom that had been allowed to me. I wanted to give that to Kyle and even more. And God deepened our friendship and, um, you know, we we— I would say we've been a big help to each other. He's been a bigger help to me. And that's why we still have a great relationship. And uh, he's still my, my biggest encourager. We, I just got done with a cohort. We actually hosted at Central Las Vegas and some, some incredible leaders in this cohort. And the, the concept that you're describing, the way, that, the, way, the way that it was termed in this discussion was giving younger leaders headroom. Mm. Uh, Larry Osborne talks about young eagles and helping them spread their wings and um, Chris Brown is a friend and he's got some great stories. I'd love to probably even do a podcast with that uh, sometime, but that's, I think that's, that's great, but it's interesting to me as an outsider listening to that. And it goes back to something we've already talked about in this podcast is Bob was willing to have a smaller presence from the platform, from the very, very inception of the conversation with you being a part of the team before teaching teams were a thing or really known. He was willing to let go of something, to see himself as a steward of something and to take risks to, to do that. And I think it is, I, I, I use this metaphor of um, the conversation we had planning a year ago is a year old and we're all a year older, but our communities have had U-Haul trucks bringing young families in and they've stayed the same average age in our community. In some cases have gone down. And so that gap grows and grows and grows. And so giving younger leaders that headroom 
really is an investment in the Great Commission reaching into our community through the local church. And uh, if I can tell two quick stories. Yes, please. At, at the heart of that, when you talk, I love that phrase, giving them headroom. You want them to feel that freedom. Mm-hmm. The One of the reasons Kyle Heinemann was so loyal to me was because of the fact that I, I gave him permission to use his his gifts. He has gifts that I didn't have. And so I said to our elders, we've, we've got to let him do these Bible studies because God's gifted him. He's having a huge impact. Sure. And um, two quick stories with that. Uh, one time uh, he asked me on a Thursday or Friday, he said, hey, he said, would you be cool with if in the middle of my sermon, uh, we had baptisms in the middle of my sermon this weekend, uh, and, and if they didn't wear the white robes, and I'm like, well, you know, that's kind of like a sacred cow, but, uh, you know, you feel pretty passionate about it. He said, can we just try it? And I said, yeah, it's fine. I'm thinking, well, you know, I'll have three or four baptisms, and, you know, that, that'll be great, and he'll have primed the pump and have some set up. But it was, I mean, it was two days later. Yeah. So I'm up in um, bright Indiana listening to my brother preach, and my phone, Sean, starts blowing up. Unbelievable. This is amazing. Never been in a service like this. And all these friends are texting me, you know, right now, 18th baptism, you know, 10 minutes later, 25th baptism, you know, keeps going, you know, four, and this is all spontaneous. Right. And so I'm, I'm blown away. Now, I got to tell you, I don't think I've ever told Kyle this, but this in my heart, as a lead pastor, you start to see these texts and everybody saying the same thing. There's something that bristles up within you. And I think it's probably satanic. It's, it's what Saul experienced when they said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Right. And there's this jealousy that comes. Mm. And so my first thought is, well, I gave him permission to do that. That's yes. what I'm thinking in my mind. Yes. Or, Oh my word, what's going on? He's he's, you know, taking over this. Well, he'd ask permission. He wasn't doing anything. He's he's a kingdom builder. And those were my first two, sad to say, mm. thoughts. Yeah. Isn't that terrible to say that out loud? But then I I I hear uh, how many people are baptized and what that starts us doing then for years to come of having these baptism weekends where we had somewhere we had over 700 baptisms and that's what baptisms taking place still every week and he stumbled onto something in that moment of spontaneity yeah. for a person to come up and not to while worship music is going on not to have to feel like they've got to be talking to everybody in a crowd but they're talking right there emotional and then I got in on the next one with him and it's become one of the most special things. And it never would have happened if he hadn't pushed us and said, hey, can we just try it? My point is, my desire is, oh, does this make me look bad and make him look better yeah. in some way? And that's, that's just from Satan. Hey, leaders, are you ready to take the next step in your leadership journey? Leaders in Living Rooms stems from cohorts that gather in the living rooms of mentor leaders around the globe who put on a mentor hat and really share their life and their leadership with small groups of six to 10 people. They gather in very focused, conversational, peer-to-peer connection with a coach in the room and a mentor to guide us through the process. I hope you'll check us out, theascentleader.org. We've got all sorts of cohorts kicking off in fall 2020. 
Some of them will begin digitally and then move to in-person gatherings. Check us out, theascentleader.org. And naming that though, and being willing to wrestle with it. When it, the Air Force Academy, they make us memorize all these quotes, you know, early mm. on. And and so this isn't a spiritual quote, but I think there's a God side to this. Is one of my favorite quotes: "Is there's no limit to the good you can do if you don't care who gets the credit." Yeah. But it's a great quote yeah. because that's not very natural, at least not for me. I think you know we we often think about getting the credit and having our thumbprint on something, but. To, to name that, then you can begin to deal with that and be able to take that to the Lord and say, you know, yeah. what, wherever this is from, I don't want it. I don't want it to be a part of me and my heart. I don't want it to be a part of the culture. Why am, so I, why am I here? You know, the, the second story is, is with Bob. And uh, he was going to speak at some college, a, a college, a secular college that still had a chapel service. Yeah. And hour and a half away. And so he said, hey, I'll come pick you up. So he picked me up and I'd been in Southeast a year and a half. We're yucking it up. We're having a blast on the trip, driving, laughing our heads off. Out of the blue, I said to him, I said, hey, I said, hey, dude, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, was it tough for you to start sharing the preaching with a 27-year-old kid? And he didn't, he didn't waste a second. He looked back at me while I was driving. He said, oh, it's very tough. It's yeah. very tough. I said, oh. I said, well, why, why did you do it? He said, I had to ask myself a question. Am I at Southeast Christian Church for Bob Russell or am I at Southeast Christian Church for Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. And that is a question that everybody has to ask themselves. And that's the same question I had to ask myself mm-hmm. when my phone was blowing up yeah. and I was getting all those text messages about those baptisms. I had to say, wait a second here. Am I at Southeast for Dave Stone or am I here for Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Kyle Eidelman is going to do everything he possibly can mm-hmm. uh, to bring people to Jesus Christ. And we have the same purpose. May his tribe increase. I'll do anything to help that guy. Wow. That's great. Mm. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Over breakfast this morning, we ran into a few people uh, and you know the, the joke is, oh, hey, Dave, how, how's retirement going? And, and some people maybe don't know exactly what you've been up to the last nine months and they think you actually did retire. But talk to me a little bit about how God sort of orchestrated your influence into Harvest Bible Chapel and what that season has been like, because you, you've been somewhat of a transition icon at Southeast in multiple ways. And then God's called you to be in an interim role there. And uh, it's a unique season for that church. There's a lot going on in that transition that they wouldn't, wouldn't want on mm. any church. And so there's hurt and there's pain. And so there's some, some great healing and pastoral moments, but there's also, you're an outside leader and you have great influence uh, in shaping things. So I would love to dive into that for a few moments. The Harvest Bible Chapel has had a... Um, powerful impact around the country, mostly because of their national TV ministry uh, through James McDonald and, and through what was taking place at, at the church. Always preached the word uh, very faithfully and uh, incredible communicator. But he was uh, asked to step down and uh, was let, let go by Harvest Bible. And subsequently, uh, the whole preaching team uh, resigned and 26 elders, all 26 elders resigned. Um, campus pastors at seven campuses, a lot of turnover. And uh, I had been 
asked around that same time to talk to them about transition because that was something that was on, I think, uh, their their plate that they were looking at and that James was looking at. And so I just kind of ended up there at that time, ended up speaking on a weekend, ended up coming back another weekend and speaking around the time when uh, James was let go. And then um, they asked me if I would be their interim teaching pastor. And I said, I can only commit to two weekends a month. I have two weekends already lined up speaking, you know, thought I was going to be a hero to my yes. wife because I thought, hey, she's going to have two two weekends. We're going to be home a whole lot. And uh, God just had a different plan. And uh, so it's strange because there's two sides of this. One is I think God put me in a healthy church for 30 years so that I could help a church that is in an unhealthy season. You know, there's a church that went from averaging 12,000 a weekend down to 7,000 yeah. in one month's time. Mm -hmm. And that'll get your attention real quickly when, when you have a huge indebtedness on, on buildings. So I had to think maybe God is putting me there in that setting because of the healthy um, upbringing and what I've been exposed to, mm -hmm. not just in my home life and growing up as a preacher's kid, but also what I experienced for 30 years at Southeast. Um, but the silver lining in all this has been in the midst of seeing uh, the grief of this church and the pain that they have gone through, uh, that they, they have stabilized and that they have faithfulness and endurance and still love God's word. Uh, what I've learned out of this is just how good God is. Because my wife would tell you what was going to be the toughest thing for me was to stay away from Southeast on weekends because I just <laughs> love this church. And Kyle made a big deal. I said, you know, I'm going to stay away for a while. Yeah. And Kyle made a big deal at my send-off saying, you know, you feel like you have to stay away. I know you've said you're going to stay away. We don't want you away. We want you here. I smile when I see your car in the parking lot, you know, yeah. and everybody's worked into a frenzy and, you know, like rabid animals foaming at the mouth. And we want you back here next week. And, you know, I, I really, really appreciate that. He was so gracious, but I said, I, you know, I, I'm not going to come back for a few months. I just want him to get his feet on the ground, not have to be looking over his shoulder. Yeah. And I told the church uh, when I preached at Southeast last month, Kyle had me back. I preached last month. I'm doing a couple this, this year at Southeast. Uh, I said, God knew what I needed. And so he gave me this, this distraction, this healthy distraction, this ministry mm -hmm. in Chicago. And now I'm there if I'm not out speaking and I don't have to be, you know, you know, schlep rock. Wow. Wow. You know, poor yeah. me. Yeah. Instead it's a, you know, I'm cheering on Southeast from a distance. And so God gave me that, I think, so that I could really, dive into that church yeah. and not worry about the church where I've been for 30 years. I think in a way, you know, that's not always necessary, but I think that's usually, you know, a strong recommendation in transitions and it, and it gives, uh, you know, Kyle, that, that, that freedom, those, um, those are, and it helps people also like they don't have anybody's shoulder to go tap on, you know, yeah. say, Oh, let me. So I think there's some good things there, but it's interesting when we go back to the conversation of, you know, you're, younger to transition out of the church, but you've got a lot of experience, but you've also got a lot of energy and availability and how God knew 
Hmm. He was going to need you there. Um, you you didn't know. Um, but having, if you'd have waited until you were 70, you might not feel like you had the energy to travel up there and and give Harvest what it needs. What kind of things, maybe one or two things, uh, let's talk about what, what have you given or been able to help the elders with that you feel like God used you distinctly for and maybe investing in the staff? What kind of things... Uh, at harvest, um, the the elders there stepping in and having a fresh voice um, for them, and then also the staff. And it may be more pastoral. It may just yeah. be that they were hurting in some ways, and you had to be more of a pastor, or it may be leadership stuff. I would have thought at the start when I went that my preaching would be what why God had me there. Mm-hmm. And the longer I've been there, I think it's more just to um, believe in them. Uh, there's not a week that goes by that every hour I don't have somebody come up to me and just look me in the eyes and just say, thank thank you. And I'll try to dig in a little bit more. And they'll say something like, thank, thank you for not running away from us. Yeah. Or thank you for leaning in. Mm. Or thank you for just being a stabilizing force. And so in my my male ego of, of wanting to be known as a great preacher, I thought and wanted to be that, that to be the thing that stood out to them. That's not what stands out to them. It's just the fact that when everybody ran the other direction, when they had problems, uh, and everybody said, I'm not going back to that church, mm-hmm. or I'm not going to go speak at that church, uh, and instead the fact that I said, okay, this is where God's called us. Yeah. So I think there's been a pastoral piece for the elders. Um, I think there's been a pastoral piece for the, uh, a shepherding piece for the congregation, mm-hmm. just maybe to have a same face that they see with regularity half the time. And hopefully the lead staff would say that some of the suggestions and maybe causing them to look at things maybe f- with a different set of eyes. Um, and I don't think that that's any great wisdom that I have it's probably more an outgrowth of just the experience that I've had and to be able just to say, well, here's another side that you can look at and here's another way to approach that. And I've got to lean in on a couple of elder retreats and uh, elders meetings with, with some of them. And um, they have a long ways to go, just like mm-hmm. all of us do, every church does. But the fact that they're still open and vibrant and their worship is incredible. Um, I, I say all the time that uh, there's different things that get us through tough seasons. And for them, worship has been really powerful mm-hmm. to them. And uh, it's ministered to me as well. And I think it's caused me to realize this is so much bigger than anybody who's going to be speaking there. Mm-hmm. This has to be a God thing and putting the emphasis on him. If we continue to put the emphasis on him and on his word, you know, I just keep driving that home, you're going to be okay. That's great. So now whether it's Harvest or potentially uh, Southeast, there's a lot of listeners here that aren't lead pastors or elders. They're staff members. They might be key staff members, but they're looking at a pending transition or part of a current transition. And oftentimes the first types of thoughts that they come to me with are this idea of surviving transition. 
And my first thought is to help them see ways that they won't just survive transition, they'll thrive in transition. So if you're not the senior leader in transition, what sort of advice do you have for those key leaders and influencers around the church? Well, I think you have to go back to that question. Am I here for myself or am I here for Jesus Christ? All of us have to realize that we have ministry giftings. And as I said earlier, it might be for that particular season. But Satan wants us just to immediately go on that route of self-preservation. Um, I'll tell you what, I, you know, I, I started worrying about finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a natural place that most, most people go is, when I don't have this job, how am I going to make a living? Financial and how am security. I going to yeah. make ends meet? Mm-hmm. Um, be the provider for my family. Especially in a case like mine, when I felt like God was calling me to do that uh-huh. prior to the normal retirement years. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny because I was talking with a, a life coach, Doug Parks, yeah. um, about three years ago prior to this. And, and he had already gone through some things in my life. And some of the key moments had been capital campaigns and times where God had taken us out on a limb and we had done things that we thought were just ridiculously crazy that God was in, but he took us out on that limb of faith. And so Doug was very wise, and he said, so let's see. He, he carried you in 1991. He carried you in 1998. He carried you when your kids started going into college and you didn't think you'd be able to make it. So what's the pattern here? Every time God has been faithful. And, and once again, he, he has continued to provide speaking opportunities for me in, in ways that I can provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And so I think the self-preservation piece is the first thing that anyone comes up with. Yeah. Do I need to reinvent myself so that the new person will like me? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I need to change to another church? And that's where I think you have to trust where God leads that new leader. Yeah. And I think it's sometimes you have to say, hey, if, if you don't think I'm the person for you, then uh, all I would ask of you is just give me a little bit of, of leeway here and uh, give me some time to yeah. try to find something else. If you don't see me, you know, when you come into your kingdom, if you don't yeah. see me fitting in there, and sometimes they don't know, yeah. and they won't know for a while until they've worked with you for a while. Yeah. All you're asking for is some, some grace um, of a little bit of time to where uh, you, don't, you can try to find something else. But the idea there I'm hearing is is really trusting God with your next, whether it's being a part of of this transition and fresh vision on the other side of that and maybe changing roles or God orchestrating a transition in your life, trusting God, but but bringing communication to that. So there's so there's let me as much, back that up, yeah, okay when i when I stood up in September and I told my church, in the next six to nine months, Kyle Eidelman will become the lead pastor. And uh, your, your next question is, okay, what are you going to do? Right. And I looked at them and said, I don't know. I have no idea what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But I promise you this, you know, God, God will prepare something for me or have something for me. And I said, you know, I'm always asking you all to take a step of faith and to take a risk. Yep. And I said, so now it's my turn to do what I've been asking you to do. Mm-hmm. That was in September. Yeah. I had no idea, absolutely no idea of where God was going to be using me uh-huh. uh, starting at the end of May yeah. the following year. And that didn't even come about 
that invitation didn't even come about for me to be their interim teacher until mid-March. Yep. But I think that's when God does his best work is when we say, okay, Lord, I'm really nervous about this. And we don't know, but we're going to walk by faith. Yeah. And when we do that, that's when, you know, I get emotional. I think he wants to reward us and say, okay, if you got that kind of faith, then here's what I've been preparing for you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's going to be a healthy distraction from 30 years of ministry at the place where you, you could eat, drink, and sleep and live there if you wanted to, you know, because I love it so much. That's amazing. That's a good word. Well, thank you so much, Dave. It's been an honor to have this conversation. Can't wait to share it with our listeners. Thanks so much. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks for the impact that you're having on leaders. It's an honor. 